are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining you from Dallas, Texas, which is my home base. This program is all about helping people more meaningfully and productively connect with their work and equipping organizations to do the same for their employees. It was originally inspired by the meaning and work research I've been doing over the last 14 years and now complements the work I do at Insignium, which is a global management consulting firm. I'll get to the program in just a moment, but first, a big shout out to my media partner and sponsor, Jobbing.com. Jobbing.com is the leading locally focused job board in the nation, and they're dedicated to helping employers find quality talent in their own backyard and giving job seekers control over their search so they can find work close to home. Great partnership. Thank you, Jobbing.com. Last week, if you weren't with us, we were on the air with Dr. Jeremy McMillan, president of Grayson College, talking about why he chose a career in education, how Grayson College is working to respond to key trends affecting the education industry, and how really serving on the boards that he's on helps extend his his reach and impact on the Grayson student body. A really great conversation, very, very dedicated man to, to his profession and to his students. For this week's conversation with me is Dr. Judith Glick-Smith, also known as Dr. Judy. She is the founder of Mentor Factor, Inc., which focuses on helping organizations facilitate flow-based work environments. She has been in communication, knowledge, architecture, and organizational development consultant since 1983. And finally, for our purposes today, she's the author of Flow-Based Leadership, What the Best Firefighters Can Teach You About Leadership in Making the Hard Decisions. She joins us today from Atlanta, Georgia. Dr. Judy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Elise. I'm excited to be here. Me too. And let me first congratulate you on getting that book out. I know it takes a lot to birth a book. And we were talking before we got on the air just how good it feels to have it out there. And you even said that it had been a bestseller on Amazon when it first came out. Is that right? That, that's right. That was a few weeks ago. So, yeah, I was really excited about that. Well, clearly it's landing well for people. That's great. Uh, that's wonderful. Yeah. I can't wait to get my book out there. So keep sending me energy for me to get mine done, will you? I will. <laughs> <laughs> um, and for, to, to orient our listeners as to a little bit about who you are, Dr. Judy, will you just say a little bit about the work that you're doing today? Well, I, I'll give you a little background. I, I came out of the IT world. I've, I've been in IT since uh, 1983, doing a lot of different things. Started out as a programmer, but evolved into documentation and requirements development and systems development and design and all of that. And so today, I continue some of that work, but I do it in the context of this uh, flow-based uh, uh, structure that I've come up with um, uh, through my research, my doctoral research and my uh, subsequent postdoctoral research. So um, I can, in order to make a living, I still write requirements for systems. I still do implement knowledge management systems, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, I do leadership training, I do coaching, I do executive uh, uh, facilitation for consensus and alignment and that kind of thing. So 
uh, I'm I'm a pretty broad ranged um, consultant. I I would say so, and I don't think I knew that you had that background in information technology, Dr. Judy. That's interesting about you. I I think that gives you a very interesting base from which to work. It does. It does. I have a very, I'm very systems and process oriented because of okay. that. Uh huh. Makes sense. Okay. Well, so I know that this work that you've created here around flow-based leadership came from, or you tell me if I'm wrong about this, it came from your doctoral research. Is that right? Yeah, right. I, I had, I'm very goal-oriented, too, in terms of my personal life. So back, in, back when I was 27, I started writing my goals down, and I wrote down I wanted to have my Ph.D. before I turned 60. And I got to age 54, and I hadn't even started, and I thought, well, I better get busy. <laughs> so uh, I went back to school. I didn't even have a master's, so I went back and got my master's. And then I uh, decided to um, go keep going and get the Ph.D., but I didn't want to get it in business. I've been a serial entrepreneur since 1983, uh, and I just really... To get a degree in business just sounded too been there, done that. And I, but I was interested in how people make decisions. I didn't want a degree in psychology, though. Uh, so I Googled transformative psychology, and I found a program at the California Institute of Integral Studies in transformation. It's a program called Transformative Studies. And that program is a transdisciplinary program. That means I could come into the program with an area of inquiry and look at all the fields that would inform that area of inquiry. So if I had gone into a psychology program with this inquiry of how how do people make decisions, that psychology program would only let me look at psychology research in order to inform that question. This program allowed me to look at psychology and spirituality and quantum physics and decision-making and a whole bunch of other anthropology and a whole bunch of other different uh, fields. That made it very intense, but it also added richness to the work. So as I'm going down this rabbit hole of all these different fields, I discovered this idea called flow, which comes out of the field of positive positive psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, some people know about uh, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi is kind of the father of flow. He, in, in the early 80s, began studying optimal experience, and he um, studied, uh, that he's, he's since studied tens of thousands of people and came up with the characteristics of flow and he, he determined that everyone on the planet experiences flow from time to time. And it isn't culturally based, it isn't gender based, it isn't uh, age based, it, everyone experiences flow. So I was talking to my brother-in-law. I may be jumping ahead too fast, Elise. If I'm, I get, I get talking and I will spill. I'll, the whole I'll thing. jump in here. Go ahead and finish that thought, and then I want to jump in with something. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay. 
um, so I was telling my brother-in-law, who's a retired battalion chief from Prince William County, Virginia Fire Department, about what I had discovered about flow. And he told me a story about a line of duty death where he had to make the call to not rescue a downed firefighter. And I realized that all the characteristics of flow were in his decision. So that was the trigger for me to go down this path. And I thought, well, I'll look at the critical decision-making experiences of firefighters in a flow state. And that's what my research was. Okay. I got to say a couple things really quick. First, I loved how you talked about how you got interested in, in first how people make decisions and then how it, then, then it came, it came to be focused on um, the, the, in, in the firefighter situation. I think that's really interesting. I'm going to guess that we have at least a few listeners on, on, on the air right now who are perhaps in school themselves right now, probably even working on a PhD were attracted to this particular conversation because of your research. Uh, so I think it's really interesting to talk about how we do arrive at what we're going to focus on. I know for me, I was recruiting information technology professionals when I was doing my PhD, and so I wanted to find out where they were in their work. And that's what led me to investigate meaning and work in relation to identity for the group. And that's the modes of engagement research that I've been doing. So I think it's just so important that you talked about where it came from. So great base, right? Great base. And then the second thing I wanted to ask you really quick is, say for us again, if, if you've if you can, the name of, of the, that, the flow professional. I always thought it was Mikali Chizit Mikali or something like that. Is that not right? Or how do you say his no. name? No. It, lucky for, if you get his book called Flow, mm-hmm. look, on the very back, look on the very back cover, and it says on the back cover how to pronounce his name. And okay. Chick sent me high. Chick sent me high. Wow, that is yeah. totally different from what I've been saying. Okay, thank you for that. Um, okay, well, the, the next thing I think it probably makes sense for us to do, because not everybody who's listening to this conversation probably really knows a lot about flow or maybe hasn't read the book. You've said a little bit about it already, but say more about what exactly is flow. Okay, so think of an activity you absolutely love to do. And in that activity, you are working toward goals, and you're receiving feedback in the moment. There's lots of opportunities for decisive action. Action and awareness merge. You concentrate on the task at hand. You have a sense of control and a a sense of confidence about what you're doing. You are... um, Time sort of morphs. You have no sense of time or um, it, it might speed up or slow down depending on what it is you're doing. And you do the activity for the sake of the activity. So usually when I tell that, give that um, description, everybody knows what that is. In sports, people call it being in the zone. Um, my firefighters call it bringing your A game. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's a lot of uh, ways to describe what that feeling is, but just about ever, I haven't run into anybody yet that doesn't know what that means. 
I think that is a beautiful way to describe it, Judy, and to be able to bring it to a place that's very easy and accessible for all of us who haven't investigated it like you have. So thank you for that. That's gorgeous. And I... I'm nodding my head vigorously as yes, I've, I've experienced that. You're right. I'm, I'm. I guess I'm. I'm. I'm one of the group in humanity that actually has experienced that. You said everybody has, so I guess that counts me too. Right. <laughs> okay. Oh, well, I was the background for a second. Yeah. Yeah. I for sure. Tell you the, I didn't tell you the rest of the story. Oh. Remember, I said I was going to get my. I wanted my PhD before I turned sixty. Well, I defended my dissertation two weeks before I turned 60. So I met my goal. I just that is the power of that. goals, right? It is. And what, did, you have, did you write this goal down? Was this written down or was write this just down. a goal? That, yeah, absolutely. That's it. Write it down. I have a, an ongoing list of things that in my to-do list. But once it makes the to-do list, it actually is on the list. The chances of it getting done get propelled to about the 90th percentile. 90th That's percentile. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, speaking of that, one of the things that I think anybody who's listening probably really wants to know is how can I have more of these kinds of flow experiences? How can I use them? And one of the things I found really intriguing about your book is you've got a section there talking about initiating flow or not. And you mentioned preconditions, triggers, a few other aspects to initiate flow. Tell us a bit about initiating it, how we might be able to jump start it if that's what you're talking about. Right. Um well, first of all, you have to realize that what, how it, how it works. Flow is the intersection of skills and challenges. So, if you imagine uh, that when when we're in flow, the amount of challenge we are receiving and the amount of skill that we have to meet that challenge are in alignment. So as we move through flow, there are tasks that we're doing within that activity. And as we do them over and over and over again, sometimes we get really, really good at them. And then we get so good at them, it starts getting boring. Boredom pulls us out of flow. But on the other side of that, if we are go back to that, same activity and you're doing that task and you're doing it over and over and over again and a challenge comes at you that you've never seen before and you're not quite sure how to meet that challenge, then you become anxious. Anxiousness pulls you out of flow. So how to mitigate that is is through training and experience. So the more training that we have, the the, the more opportunities for staying in flow, training and experiences. The other thing, now that, that's, that's kind of how it works. So how do you, how do you maximize your flow experiences? You, you get training in the, in the things that you really love to do. It, it kind of goes back to um, uh, what, what is the book um, Something on your strengths. Focus on your strengths. Oh, yeah, strengths finder. Yeah, focus on your strengths. Strength finder. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, I get aggravated with corporate environments that do annual reviews, and you get your annual review, and it says, uh, "This is what you did this year. This is what you're strong at. This is what you're good at. This is where you're weak, and we're going to give you training in what you're weak at." And that's not 
the right way to go about it. You want to make pe- people are generally stronger in the areas where, that they love to do. So give them the training there and then find other people who are strong in that other area where that person might have been weak. Someone else in your organization can do those activities. And that's, uh, so in terms of what an organization can do to facilitate team flow is, uh, that's just one of the ways they can do it. But as an individual, what you want to do is pay attention to what you're, what you're really good at, uh, pay attention to when you go into a flow state because oftentimes we go into flow and before we know it, we're there. Um, I don't generally go, I go to a boot camp every morning to work out and in general, boot camp does not put me into flow, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I do it because I want to be alive for a lot longer and this morning, though, when I went, I realized I was in flow. And it was interesting that I found myself in flow for about a good 10 minutes. And wow. I was fast in it. And I was going full out. And I'm 20 years old, older than the next youngest person in the class, you know. But I was hanging with them, and it was, it was really cool. So That's awesome. Can I stop you there, Dr. Judy, just really quick? we got to go for a short break. Sorry about that. I want to make sure we get your full thought when we come back. So I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with Dr. Judith Glick-Smith, the founder of Mentor Factor Incorporated and the author of Flow-Based Leadership, what the best firefighters can teach you about leadership and making the hard decisions. We've been talking a bit about how she began her investigation into this topic area. Next, after the break, we'll talk how she's implemented in organizations and also how she came to acquire some of her experience working on the Georgia Smoke Diver Program. Stay with us. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Are you in your own driver's seat? Tune in to a program that will get you there based on what others have managed to do through challenges in their lives and how they persevered. Tune in to The Real Deal with Danielle Delaney. On our show, we use real issues and experts to help you reclaim your life. Danielle and her guests are here to steer you in the right direction. Make sure that you are here every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's time to harness your power. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. 
VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1 888 346 9141. Again, that's 1 888 346 9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A L I S E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Dr. Judith Glick-Smith, better known as Dr. Judy. She has been a a communication, knowledge, architecture, and organizational development consultant since 1983 and is the author of Flow-Based Leadership, What the Best Firefighters Can Teach Us About Leadership and Making the Hard Decisions. Dr. Glick-Smith is the founder of Mentor Factor, Inc., which focuses on helping organizations facilitate flow-based work environments. She joins us today from Atlanta, Georgia. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. Before the break, Dr. Judy, you were just finishing that that example of the gym and how to help us initiate flow. I want to make sure that we give that little pearl to our listeners. Right. Uh, because everybody, experience, everybody experiences flow, but we all experience flow from different activities. What, what, I, what triggers flow for me will not be the same thing that triggers flow for you. So you have to pay attention to when you do go into flow and, and look at the conditions that are around your being in that flow state. And as you get better at that activity, you and you might want to get training in it or... Uh, seek out more experiences in that activity, and then you'll start maximizing uh, th- that activity where you can maximize your flow states. Okay, awesome. And I totally got what you were saying about investing in what you investing in training and what you love, so as to better um, achieve more flow. Uh, opportunities. I get all that, and in part because I I was certified in Gallup Strengths a few years ago, and I've been using working with that material for quite some time. So I totally get what you're talking about, Dr. Judy. Makes complete right. sense to me. Yeah. Well, another thing I want to make sure that we talk about before we get too far into we in the, into the Georgia Smoke Diver Program is I I want to know what you mean by flow based decision making. When I did my research for my PhD. I want the question I ask is because uh, you have to have a question when yep. you're when you're doing your dissertation. My question was, how does being in a flow state facilitate decision making? Hmm. And so I interviewed sixteen firefighters, eight men and eight women. They wanted to know if there was a gender difference, and there wasn't. Um, but, and I gave them characteristics of flow, and they lit up. <laughs> No pun intended. And they <laughs> and they gave me forty nine stories. They all said to me, "Not every call will put them in a flow state uh, because a lot of calls are just routine, you know. But every now and then, what what would happen is something would be out of the ordinary, and that's what would trigger the flow state for them." Uh, for example, uh, when you dro- when a firefighter drives up to a scene and there's a woman in the driveway screaming, 
they pretty much know there's going to be a child inside the house. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there were anomalies that happened. For example, uh, one woman, uh, uh, one firefighter told me that she, they came up on the scene and the woman wasn't screaming. And when they went into the house, there was a man in the up, uh, in the upper level, and he was he was just standing there looking really weird. And it turned out it was a shaken a case of shaken baby syndrome. So this this man had killed the baby. Uh, so the woman wasn't screaming, and that put the firefighter into a flow state because she knew something was really 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 wrong. So uh, and it was was not what she was used to seeing. So that's. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of talking around all, all of uh, what you just asked me, so now I'm, I'm, I don't, don't know if I covered exactly what you were asking. but You did, uh, yeah, that's great. Okay. Yeah, and so I guess now what I'm starting to understand a little bit better is that the, the Georgia Smoke Diver Program was really what you, so it sounds, I think, I think it was twofold if I've got this right. It sounds like you, you had access to that group to do your interviews for your PhD, and they had an interest in learning something about themselves. So it was a, like a twofer, as we say here in Texas. Is that right? No. No, I didn't okay. Get, I, the, the Georgia Smoke Diver Program came after the dissertation. Okay. So gotcha. when, I, when I interviewed those 16 firefighters, one of those firefighters heads up the Georgia Smoke Diver Program. So when I when I finished the dissertation, I sent it out to everybody that participated in the study, and he called me and he said, uh, "Smoke divers next week. Do you want to come to one of the classes and I'm to observe?" And I said, "Yeah." And so I went, and uh, it was just going to be one time, one observation, and it turned into a full-blown ethnography of that organization. And um, next week, I go to my 13th smoke smoke diver training. So um, that is, and if you go to my Facebook page, uh, and that's under Judy Glicksmith, you, you can, and go to my photographs, you'll see all the smoke diver pictures because I post them out there. And you can see what the program is like, but um, so that that program, David Rhodes was the fellow that was in was is the head of that program, and I'll, I'll refer to him as Rhodey. I'll refer to him as Smoke Daddy because that's what they call the head of the program, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, um, he he's the one that pulled me into that program. So I've been working with them since I got my PhD. Okay, that's making a little bit more sense. Now, I'm sure that there's at least a couple listeners right now that are scratching their head about Smoke Diver Program. And I know you've (laughs) sent them to your Facebook, but tell us just briefly, what is a Smoke Diver Program? It is an extreme experiential training program in the fire service. And it is for structural firefighters. People say, oh, they're the guys that jump out of the plane. No, they're not. Those those guys, the guys that jump out of the plane, are called smoke jumpers. Uh, Georgia Smoke Diver, the Georgia Smoke Diver program is um, it, it's one of the most rigorous programs in the fire service. 
there are a number of smoke diver programs around the country that are run by state-run fire, fire service academies. But this particular smoke, and there's, those last between three and four days. This program lasts seven days, and it is uh, uh, a standalone program. It is sanctioned by the Georgia Fire Service, but it, it is its own entity. The people, it was started in 1978 by Cortez Lawrence and Nish Willis, who had been through the Florida Smoke Diver Program, and they built this program uh, based on the Florida program plus a program that was being done in Europe. And they, it's, um, so that, that's kind of the origins of it. Um, they are, their, their whole thing is to, uh, kind of, kind of like the Navy SEALs is to the Navy. That's how intense this particular program is. Although it's not, obviously not like the Navy SEALs. It takes 18 months, I think, to go through Navy SEALs training. This only takes seven days, but it's done in that same spirit of intense, training Mm -hmm. um it's exhausting they start out every day with pt in full gear for 90 minutes they do uh, they do uh physical training for uh, and an obstacle course that includes a hose hoist which is really really uh you need strong uh, um forearm strength to do that uh, there's a number of drills they have to go through, and it just wears them out. But not to break them down. Like sometimes you hear them say in the military they want to break them down to, to build them back up. It isn't for that reason. It's because when we're tired, our decision-making capability is compromised. And so they, they do this to them at the beginning of the day so that they're just so worn out that when they go through the drills uh, during the day, they really have to focus. So that that's kind of the, the background on, on the program. Okay, that helps tremendously ground us into how, where this came from and some gave, it, gave us some really great context. And it makes me now wonder, Dr. Judy, if you see or have thought of or maybe can talk about if, fire and flow are somehow related? No, uh, fire and flow. I think in, in terms of fire, firefighters, um, I don't know that I could say that. Um to some firefight, because it's more situational. Um, it's more um, in the fire service. They might say, "Yeah, fire and flow are somehow related," but you and I don't run across fire that often. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thank goodness. You know, so, so it isn't. It isn't like our flow states are dependent on us coming up on a, a fire scene. If that, um, but you know what? We will say things like in our work environment, we will say we're putting out fires. 
Yeah. So, you know, and we use, use fire as a metaphor quite often. Yeah, yeah. and we, we talk about, we, in our case, certainly we, in this, for this program, we talked about firing employees to a higher level of performance. I mm-hmm. think what I'm getting at, maybe, this, if this is hitting on sort of a visceral sort of unconscious level, I think, it's just coming up from my gut into my head, which is how things get processed for me quite a bit. But I think I'm I'm seeing it that fire represents energy and flow yeah. has an energy state to it, obviously. Absolutely. I think maybe that's what I'm, okay, that's what I'm, con- I'm connecting on that level, I think. Yes, yes. Okay. That, from that standpoint, yes, I would say you're, that is true. Okay. Okay. Well, another thing that you said in the book that really was intriguing and I wanted you to talk a little bit about is you say specifically that the Georgia Smoke Diver Program is an anomaly in, in organizational development practices. What do you mean by that, and why do you think that? Well, let me – it's a very flat organization. Let me tell you, the, the very first day I showed up, I was so impressed by uh, from the from a visual standpoint. I'm looking at across the the training ground, and I see all the instructors are dressed exactly alike. And I had been hanging around the fire service at that point for you know a good six or seven years. And I knew, and the fire service is very rank-oriented. You always know who's the chief and who's the battalion chief and who's the lieutenant and who's the captain and who's the firefighter by the way they dress and, you know, um, and primarily by what they have on. So here all the guys were dressed alike. I didn't, I couldn't tell who was a chief. I couldn't tell who was, who was a regular firefighter. So that was, impressive. The second thing that was impressive was how many of them there were. At the beginning of the week, the instructor-to-student ratio was two to one. By the end of the week, it was three to one. And how many classes have you ever attended in corporate America where you have three instructors for every student? It never happens. Never. And all these guys come to the training as volunteers. Most of them, most of them are paid firefighters in, in, uh, departments all around Georgia. There's a few of them that are volunteer firefighters, but they volunteer their time to come. They take, they take their vacation away from their own families. To come teach this class because they are so committed to the purpose of the program, which is to make firefighters better and to keep them safe. So when you have a purpose that is so laser-focused and you, you communicate that purpose, people will rally around that purpose, and that's what I see in this group. I have I have been in organizations that are very similar. Southwest Airlines is one. Southwest Airlines used to be one of my best clients when I had my company in Dallas. And I loved being in Southwest Airlines. And have you have you ever been in their corporate headquarters? I sure have. I know several people there in the, in that organization. Amazing place. 
It is. You walk in the door, and their mission is etched in the elevator in the glass right there at the elevator bank, right behind the, mm-hmm. the front desk. You know, so everybody there knows what the purpose is. The purp- the mission is hung up on the wall every 20 feet or so down the wall. When you turn on your computer, the first thing that pops up is the mission. So that, they are, the just like Georgia Smoke Diver is an anomaly, so is Southwest Airlines. And I've met a few, I've been in a few companies uh here in Atlanta that are like that too, but they are so few and far between. Um, and they they do put it, put in place a lot of, they have figured it out, like the Georgia Smoke Diver program has figured it out. That the other thing is that they evergreen their leadership. There, I know there are politics that go along. doesn't matter what organization you're in. You're always going to have politics. But the way they manage conflict in this group is stunning. So you think about this. We, there are over 900 smoke divers now. We, I think we're up to 929. There's only eight women that are smoke divers. So we're talking mm-hmm. all alpha males right right now. And so I was amazed to be on a training ground for seven days with these guys and never see any conflict there, and I know it happened, but it's handled. It's the way it's handled, and even though they would never, I don't think they'd ever talk about being forgiving. That happens just by okay, we handle it. Let's get on with it. This is why we're here, and that was not that important. So we're just going to keep on trucking, and everybody does the job. Everybody knows what they're supposed to be doing. And it's it's an amazing machine to watch because they are all working in flow together. Awesome. Hold that thought, Dr. Judy. We're going to cut for our next break here. Great place to stop. I'm Elise Cortez, okay. your host. We've been on the air with Dr. Judith Glick-Smith, the founder of Mentor Factor, Inc., and the author of Flow-Based Leadership, What the Best Firefighters Can Teach You About Leadership and Making the Hard Decisions. After the break, we're going to learn a little bit more about what, what we can actually learn from these firefighters about leadership and making hard decisions and how to create flow-based organizations. Stay with us. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. 
This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1 888 346 9141. Again, that's 1 888 346 9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A L I S E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to the Working on Purpose program. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Dr. Judith Glick-Smith, better known as Dr. Judy. She has been a communication, knowledge architecture, and organizational development consultant since 1983 and is the author of Flow-Based Decision, excuse me, Flow-Based Leadership, What the Best Firefighters Can Teach You About Leadership and Making the Hard Decisions. Dr. Glick Smith is the founder of Mentor Factor, Inc., which focuses on helping organizations facilitate flow-based work environments. She joins us today from Atlanta, Georgia. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So that was a perfect way to finish up our last segment there, Dr. Judy. I loved how you situated what the Georgia Smoke Diver Program is and what and how the people in it work. So the next thing I really want to cue up for our listeners, it's kind of like the big so what here, I think. What can we glean from these firefighters about leadership and making hard decisions? They, they, these particular, the fire service in general has been so impressive to me. The, the amount of respect that they have for each other, uh, the sense of family, um, they are supportive of one another. They just in the way they operate, for example, they know that when they are on an incident, for example, that every single firefighter is responsible for a form of leadership. You know, we think of leadership often as being someone telling someone else something, what to do. There are... However, in in the fire service, the first thing you do when you get to a fire scene, no matter who you are, whether you're the chief or or the firefighter, you do what's called a 360 size up. And everybody is responsible for that. And while, while you are, because you need to know where is the fire. If you get there and go in the front door, you might not come back out the back. You might not come back out because the fire was right there, or so they know that they need to look do a three hundred and sixty. One of the things that uh, happened in that the original incident I told you about that put me on this path was that fire came in from or, or wind came in from the back of the house and came up the stairs separating two firefighters that had gone in to search for victims and one of the firefighters got trapped. They didn't, they didn't take the time to go around the house. They didn't know that back door was open. And so the wind came up the back and held the fire and and trapped, trapped them. So, but they know that, each individual firefighter, and we know this too, we just don't talk about it that much, but everybody has is looking at the situation from a different angle. So when you go back to the fire station after the incident and you talk about it, by talking about it, 
and without any kind of judgment, without saying you did this or you did that wrong or whatever, you talk about, well, this is what I saw and this is how I reacted to what I saw and somebody else saw something totally different and they reacted to that. And by the time you get the whole story, you have a 360 view of that, a 3D view of what happened in that incident. And that's something that we can learn about uh, being judgmental about other people, about uh, being the back, the Monday morning quarterback on systems that don't get implemented correctly. And we say, well, if I'd have done that, I'd have, you know, if I'd been doing it, I would have done it totally different. Well, yeah, you probably would. But there was a reason people made the decisions they did based on the information they had at, to- at the time. And I think their practices for how they look at things is absolutely something that we can learn from. Mm. And that's just one, and that's just one of the things. I mean, there's mm. just tons of them, I could tell you. I hear you. And, well, that's why people have to pick up the book, right? That's right. <laughs> not to, not to, not to pedal your book here, but it, it looks really, I mean, I've, I've probably read about half of it so far, Dr. Judy, and it is really interesting. And there's there is a lot of dense, good stuff in there. So um, this will be just a little a little bit of tip of the iceberg. Uh, right. Well, the, ne- the next thing I want to talk about here for this last little bit of time that we have together is I want to leave our listener, listeners with some notion of how they might be able to create a flow-based organization. There are people that listen to the show from, from all over the world. Many of them are, are leaders. Many of them are management. Um, several of them are professionals and individual contributors. So let's talk about that next. Do you have a whole model to do this? So maybe can we talk through at least a part of it? Oh, absolutely. Okay. So Where do you want to start? The, I, let me start at the beginning because it, is, it isn't necessarily linear, but it absolutely has to start by... Whoever is the leader has to lead by example. And then um, from there, when, when the, whoever it is on, at, the, at the top of the organization is modeling how he, he or she wants their, the people who report to him or her under him uh, to how... how that, how their behavior should be, then it will permeate all the way down to the everyday worker. Uh, also, to it sets a precedent uh, and an expectation that everyone is responsible for, for leadership within the organization. And, to, that, and people, when... The leader takes personal responsibility. The individual will take personal responsibility. Um, the second, so that's lead by example. It has to start there. The second thing that has to happen is communication. And the very first thing that needs to be communicated is the mission or the purpose. Every morning at the daily briefing, Rody will Read the per, read the mission to the the instructors, and I asked him. I said, "Why do you read the mission every day?" They know it. They've been coming for a long time. Why do you read it? He said, "It keeps us laser focused." So, it, 
and it goes back to the Southwest Airlines thing. You know what the mission of Southwest Airlines is if you work there because it's in your face all the time. The third thing is to commit to a stable infrastructure. There's nothing that will pull you out of flow faster than bad systems and bad processes. And anybody who works in computers knows that. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, that's everybody. So infrastructure is absolutely critical. And there's multiple components to infrastructure. You have your system. You have... Uh, you've got to have uh, um, the infrastructure of a building or, you know, what it, whatever it is that supports the work of the organization. Then you have knowledge management. All, all of these things have to have some kind of infrastructure to, and it has to be stable or people won't be able to, to maximize their flow experiences. The next element of the flow-based leadership model is to bind the group with ritual, storytelling, um, collaboration. And by ritual, I'm not talking necessarily religion or spirituality or anything. It's about making meaning in, in events that might happen in your organization. For example, on Wednesday of Smoke Diver, Wednesday morning, Brody gets all the candidates who who are still there. By this time, if you make it to Wednesday in this program, you're probably going to make it all the way to the end of the week. And he gathers them around a door that was constructed out of the the houses of that uh, three houses here in Georgia where a firefighter lost his life. And Brody tells one he gives one of the most incredible speeches of the week. He's a very, very wonderful orator orator. And he's he he never gives that speech the same way every time. I never miss miss it because it's always different. But the essence of it is he says when the public calls nine one one, they don't get a choice in who comes to help. They can't say, I want Station 14 to come. They get whoever's on call, whoever is supposed to be servicing that particular community. He, he said so, and he points at him and he says, how dare we be anything but the best? And he points at each one of them and he goes, you gave that father an opportunity to walk down the aisle with his daughter. You gave that grandmother an opportunity to see her grandson graduate from college. And he makes it real. That is ritual. So that particular ritual starts um, on Wednesday. And then they go off and do drills for two more days. And on Friday, they graduate. And... When they graduate, they don't know it. The students don't know it until the moment it happens. But when they're finished, they walk through that door. Because on on Wednesday, Rody has told them that the firefighters who died in these houses went in the front door, but they didn't come out the they didn't come oh. out the front door. So when they graduate, they come out the front door. 
Mm, wow, Dr. So that, Judy, that is so compelling. It is, and it makes meaning, it makes everything, um, everything that they're doing, it gives meaning to everything that they're doing. The next element in the, in the flow-based leadership model is to honor individual creativity, um, and that promotes innovation. Um, so, Dr. Judy, I'm going to stop you there if I can, because we only have just like yeah. one more minute left there. And so we, okay. we're kind of given a, these, what you've given so far, are beautiful. And I think that it helps the listeners have an idea of how to get started. And obviously, they, they can contact you if they need some more information. But let me have you just, if you will, in maybe just 30 seconds, can you just let me go ahead or let you close, however you want to close, last thoughts with our listeners? We, everybody knows what it means to uh, operate in team flow. Team flow is when everybody on the team is in flow. And we're always, once we've done that, we're always looking to recreate, recreate that magic. This model will help you facilitate team flow. Um, it's all about respect for each other uh, and taking responsibility for the work and enjoying the moment that you're in. So that I would leave it there. I would like to see the whole world be able to work in team flow all the time. I think we would be, be much happier and more productive um, in, our, in our work and our personal lives. Mm-hmm. A true force to be reckoned with. Well, Dr. Judy, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. This has been a very compelling, interesting, moving conversation. Thank you very much for sharing your expertise, perspective, and passion. Well, thank you for having me. You're welcome. If you want to learn more about Dr. Judy and her work, go to her website, which is her Mentor Factor website, and that is mentorfactorinc.com. Again, mentorfactorinc.com. What a gifted and talented professional, and really the, the passion just shines through. Join us next week when we're on the air with Mike Bainbridge from London. He is the Chief Digital Officer at Rackspace. And interestingly enough, we found each other on Twitter, and I invited him to come on the show via Twitter, and he he accepted. We're going to be talking about his perspective on how we can incorporate technology into our lives to make ourselves more productive and how he thinks technology will evolve in the future. So see you next week. And remember, work is at least one-third of our lives, so let's work on purpose. Hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work.